and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week we're sitting down with Delano Smith. Thanks to his tracky yet soulful style, the Detroit artist became a go-to producer in the 2000s, especially for European DJs looking to fuse deep house warmth with a hypnotic sensibility. Judging from the dates, you might assume Smith was a new Detroit export, but in fact he's one of its elder statesmen. He was DJing in Detroit on belt drive turntables and mobile sound systems before house and techno even existed. And he came up under the wing of Ken Collier, one of the Motor City's most significant DJ pioneers. Smith sat down with Matt Unicom in Berlin earlier this week, giving us an insight into what it was like in the earliest days of Detroit dance music and the production methods behind some of his key tracks. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Delano Smith is up next. Like you come for a few weeks, and I you used go to. Back to the US. I used to. Yeah. I used to come here and uh, stay. Uh, what two or three weeks at a time to stay at Yossi's. But uh, you know that, that that all the travel and being away from home, I kind of wore on me a little bit. So now I just go out just on the weekends, like two weekends out of the month. Well, there's only two weekends in the month, <laughs> so I just come out. I just go out and come back home, man. Yeah. You know, I have a house that I like to enjoy. You have a normal lot. You have yeah, a lot exactly. that you I like pets. to. <laughs> you know, I have, uh, you know, a wife that I love and <laughs> my mom, you know, my dad, my family, you know, so. And do you still live in Detroit? Yeah, I live in Detroit, yeah. In the city, not in the suburbs. I live in the city of Detroit, yeah. I was, I was actually born in Chicago. My family moved here uh, when I was about five years old. And well, I moved to Detroit when I was about five years old, and that's where I was raised. So uh, that's where all my musical inspiration comes from. It comes from Detroit, didn't come from Chicago. Yeah, of course. What yeah. um, well, it, it did later. <laughs> yeah, you know, but not. Yeah. not. How is Detroit? Because we keep hearing about like uh, rejuvenation, and I don't know that things are looking now up. It's and what's better. your What do you think? Now, now it's better. It's uh, it went through a, a very uh, dry spell. Uh, back in the 90s and in the early 2000s, there was, uh, after the after the Music Institute uh, closed, uh, there was a, kind of a long dry spell there. Um, it was very much small, very much, very niche kind of clubs, well, crowds and everything. And it wasn't until, I think, <clears throat> probably until the Movement Festival, well, it was called DEMF, the Detroit Electronic Mo- uh, Music Festival, uh, as is when we saw some resurgence in it, and then with the with the rise of social media and everything, I think that kind of it played a really big part in the scene, kind of blowing up again. You know, the social media has made the world a lot smaller. You know, and uh, you know, kids see what's going on in Europe, and they kind of want to emulate what's going on in Europe and their hometown and everything. So yeah, it's gotten better. Do you still have lots of music buddies in Detroit? I don't know. Are you chatting about music with people there and seeing your old DJ pals? Well, yeah, all my DJ pals, uh, I see them over here more than I see in Detroit. Yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> right? yeah. So uh, it's just rare that you know I get a chance to talk with uh, Jeff or Derek or or somebody like that in Detroit. You know, but uh, more of my closer friends like Norm and uh, maybe Huck. 
Uh, I'll see them in Detroit more often because, well, Norm and I, me, he and I are closer. We have a closer friendship, so you know, I talk to him on the phone every day. Oh, really? So, and guys like, yeah, I don't know if you know Rick Wilhite. Yeah, yeah of course. That's yeah. a really good friend of mine, and um, uh, we 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 spend a lot of time together. So it's not like you're in isolation there. Like, oh no, uh, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's cool because I guess that's the cool thing about being uh, being from somewhere with such history. If you're me, for example, I had to move out, like move away from my hometown to get deeper into this music. Exactly. Where with you guys, yeah. it's part of the history. So yeah, you can have the same. You can have a friend for twenty or thirty years, right? Right. Yeah. Who you've been doing this music kind of with, right? And yeah, you. But you know, it's weird. But there's a lot of people that that's from Detroit that were doing music. I did not meet, I didn't know in Detroit until I got to, until I started touring Europe, like Shay Demir. He and I are very good friends now. I didn't even meet him until my first time I was in Berlin. And now we're like, you know, we're you know almost best buds. And, you know, I didn't meet him until, you know, 20 years after the fact. Uh, and I met him right here in Berlin. Yeah. So it was weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when did Europe start becoming? I assume most of most of your gigs are in Europe, or most of the big gigs are in Europe now. They are, yeah. When did the switch happen? Like for US after DJs? the release of uh, my first record on Mixmo, the Feel This. Yeah, the hit. Yeah, yeah right. The and feel, my, this. feel This in My Life. Exactly. Yeah. Well, no, actually, no. The, feel, the My Life oh, came later. One. Okay. But the Feel This on Mixmo, the MMO one, the Feel This. I was thinking direct drive. Put, when my I put life. Yeah. when I put that out, yeah. the guys over at Panorama Bar called me shortly after it was released, and that was my first gig I, I ever did in Europe was at Panorama it's Bar. Not a bad not a bad first gig. <laughs> no, not a bad first at all. I know. But I never heard of it prior to that because, you know, I was you know, my my style of playing was even different back then. You know, it didn't really change until I uh got on board with the sushi tech here. But and then after the um, the Sunrise EP on Third Ear is when things really, really took off. And then, uh, of course, you know, after Odyssey, the album Odyssey, it really kind of, it really took me to another level there. I can see why this early record was a hit in Europe. And it's something I actually wanted to speak to you about. A lot of your music is pretty reduced and kind of groove driven. Right. It's a lot of other Detroit and like US house, it's right, yeah. maybe more if your music is also jazzy, but maybe there's more emphasis on melody. There's more breaks and like it's a bit more chaotic. Where yours is this very, or it's often pretty loopy. That's because I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not a musician. Yeah. I make music from a DJ kind of standpoint, if you will. And and that uh, it's uh, I think with all all of us that are that started as DJs, a lot of our music is very groove based and very loopy you know you'll probably switch up the 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 drums at the 64 by adding a you know a little fill or a roll here or there but uh, we very rarely change the key or do a progression or something like that because you know i'm, I'm not a musician i don't, don't know how to read music uh, and all of my music is basically kind of loopy and sample based but this is the most playable like uh versatile stuff you know, like right, what you're, yeah, yeah. for clubs, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and on that point, at least from my perspective, like a lot of people think this kind of loopy sound is a European thing, but actually, like, there's so much US house. Like, for example, DJ Skull, right? Yeah, this some of the earliest US house was this all Just like pretty loop. reduced, exactly. exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, and, a lot of the earlier stuff, like that, a lot of stuff on Dance Mania, all the stuff, yeah. Uh, all of the, the all of the house, all of the, the 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 house that came out of Chicago, even early Detroit stuff, all of it was basically just loops. Yeah. I mean, we didn't guess you know how to play a piano, man. Yeah. Everything was on the yeah. on the MPC sixty or you know uh, early early days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess a lot of people think when they think of U.S. house, yeah, they think Moody Man and like as you say, like big chords and. Uh, right. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, all of early uh, early Moody Man stuff was just disco samples, yeah. though. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah. Yeah. All of all of his hits were, you know, Sister Sledge land samples and disco samples and yeah. So. Yeah, and um, I, I think it's I think it's a matter of picking an interesting sample and it's all about how you manipulate it, you know, and keeping it interesting. 
for six minutes. You know, that's the challenge. And how do you keep it interesting for six minutes? You think some people have it and others don't? Or is, yes, or I definitely think some people have it and others don't. Yeah. Because so. even when you think about even your tunes, like My Life, that's also just a tiny lick, nice groove, yeah. and the bass line. Exactly. Well, and the bass line, well, works. it was, uh, My Life was actually just a sample taken from George Duke. Uh, oh, really? I Want You For Myself, uh-huh. <clears throat> which uh, I think a couple of other people did it, but it all depends on, you know, your interpretation interpretation of it i just did that with uh probably i think a chord sample on the top of it and i think i probably just shortened the loop at the end and you got to try it and but why do you think it works is it the same with this dance mania stuff mm-hmm. that you some people just have an ear yeah for yeah for roof or and then some people don't <laughs> i don't know what that is I, I i don't know what it is you know uh, without giving too much away, I think it's about <laughs> your mindset when you're making the track. You know what, what you know what you're drinking or what you're uh, what you're smoking or whatever. You know it kind of you know brings the variations out. You know while, while while you're listening to the groove or while you're listening to the loop for like six hours straight. <laughs> you know it's like well what else can I do with this? You know and. When all you can think of is a, is a hat here and there, or probably a ride, and sometimes that's all you need, you know. At some point, if you listen to a lot of, you know, Mr. G stuff, <clears throat> so it's all it is is he'll be doing, it, and then when he puts the ride in, it's like, oh my God, it's it's a whole, you know, you feel a whole different kind of way about the track then. So. Maybe it's also a confidence thing, like just having the. Yeah, the confidence to just put out such a reduced tune. You don't need to have all this like crazy stuff going on. It doesn't need to build up really intensely. That's because the market that we probably that we produce for and to is just for clubs and for DJs. You know, we 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 don't make music to you know sell five thousand to get five thousand ten thousand downloads on iTunes. You know, you do it for the for, for you know for the heads for the clubs and. You know, the DJs that, uh, you know, that rock that kind of vibe, you know, and those are the type of vibes that, that, uh, that, uh, that rock clubs, man, you know, head music. Yeah, I think it makes sense now that you say that. Uh, yeah, because you were, you were DJing for a little while or for a long time before you started to produce. Uh, yeah, yeah actually, definitely. before yeah. the inception of, of uh, House and Techno, I was uh, DJing in Detroit. Uh, like uh, started in 79 I think it was uh, yeah I was probably one of the first well a guy named Daryl Shannon was actually the first teenage kind of DJ the DJ DJ that was still in high school DJing he was the first one that had any skill at beat matching and mixing then this was prior to uh, Technics 1200s even being invented or whatever we were still mixing on uh, belt drive turntables some guys were mixing on turntables believe it or not they didn't have pitch controls i mean out doing gigs like that and uh you know but yeah that's uh i I started actually probably uh really really got going and doing backyard parties and stuff like that in 1980 is when everybody heard ken collier on the radio and um, he was the first person to actually introduce beat matching you know, to the public. We all wondered, you know, what the hell was he doing on uh, WLBS and WDRQ was mixing two records together. And when I first saw him do it, uh, it, uh, it changed It changed the whole musical landscape in Detroit, if you will. Do you know he, where he, why did he start doing it? Did he see Frankie Knuckles? Or, I, I, or? I know he knew Frankie and I know that he and his brother Greg, I think they used to go to New York or whatever, or Chicago to hear this, but I don't know exactly where they drew their inspiration from. Probably uh, there was, there's another DJ, Stacy Hale. Uh, she was uh, a DJ long before me in Detroit, and she was also good friends with Ken, and she's, uh, <clears throat> she's still alive and doing well in the city. She could probably brush on that more. She could probably tell you more about that than me. But uh, I can just tell you for, for, for the straight kids, our generation, uh, we drew our inspiration uh, from Ken Collier. And uh, he introduced uh, DJ culture to uh, Detroit. And um, I, wasn't actually, I wasn't the first kid to do it. We were all doing it. 
but I think I was the first one. I, I I was the first one to actually have a legitimate residency at one of the clubs that kids went to in the city. It was called Luomo. And uh, I was able to <clears throat> grasp the concept of beat matching relatively early. And I think I was probably some kind of good at it. So and did you all, all the DJs know each other back then? Yeah, yeah. But uh, there were there were still cliques and crews back then too. A lot of animosity, you know, towards uh, different cliques and crews and stuff like that. So there was some rivalries going. Daryl and I had a rivalry uh, for a long time when we were kids, and uh, his crew and my crew always often, you know, kind of bumped heads a lot of times. But uh, when we got older, uh, that kind of stuff dissolved. No, so, no grudges yeah. anymore. Nah, no, not anymore. Well, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you do your thing. I do mine, bro. Just. Keep it moving. What were the parties like? What who would come see? Who would who would you play? Well, playing be back playing then, there was, it was very kind of. Uh, it started on the west side of Detroit. It was very kind of black, uh, straight, uh, black uh, and gay uh, uh, parties. Um, this was prior to 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 house and techno. So we played a lot of, you know, um, synth pop and stuff on Sal Soul, uh, Prelude, Emergency, a lot of uh, disco and post-disco stuff and it was still relatively new mixing was still new there was no cdjs or no internet no you know none like that so in order to keep mixing interesting we'd have to buy two copies of a record and just you know do stuff like extend the beginning extend the breaks you know by just you know constantly slip cueing one from another and everything and that there kind of defined you know, your, your, your skill, you know, working acapellas on instrumentals and stuff like that. And, you know, it kind of forced you to be creative in that respect. Mixing like that forced you to be kind of creative. And then a lot of tracks weren't made with drum machines back then. So, yeah, you know, much harder. Yeah, almost impossible to beat that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you kind of had to be creative in how you came in and how you went out of a track and everything. And, you know, especially working on belt driven turntables, not having a, not having 1200s or, you know, quartz lock turntables where the pitches are real accurate. So. It makes DJing now seem ridiculously easy. Uh, especially on CDJs. Yeah. It's ridiculously easy when um, you can act just... You see the BPM. You can see the BPM right there and just match it up and just go. Can and then drink? you can automatically, especially if you got your stuff in record box, you can loop effortlessly and everything. It's like, it's so easy to be a DJ now. It's, it's I guess it's good. You know, it's good for the industry. You know, good for people. Not good, uh, for good for the young, youngsters. Uh, I'm not going to comment on that, but... You know, but, uh, you know, I'm not hating on anybody. If, you, if that's your thing and, you know, you started off with CDJs and you're successful now, more power to you, you know. You were DJing for how many years until uh, you went started, back to college? I started uh, until I went what? Until you went back to college. I, okay, yeah, yeah I started, I, um, I think, in 1980. And then right when house hit is when I stopped. So probably from 80 to 86. And then I stopped. Till about 91, I think. I took a hiatus of about five or six years. Went away to school, got a job. Back then, there was no money in it. You know, I was getting paid 35, 50 bucks to play all night. <laughs> you get free drinks at least? Uh, I wasn't much of a drinker back then. So, uh, but when we did, no, we didn't get free drinks. So a lot of times, especially when I played at the pub, we didn't get, uh, I played at a place called the Downstairs Pub. I played there with Ken. It's open for Ken, like in 83, 84. And I, uh, I, I wasn't, I just turned 21. I don't think I even was 21 yet, but we used to sneak drinks in. Even Ken used to bring his own bottle in because we used to have to buy drinks. That's even now to this day, some clubs in the U.S. will not give you drink tickets. So you well, up, I know in Detroit, some of them won't. You end up in minus after the games. Like, like I, I know up. one club for sure, if you're playing there, they, you still have to buy your own freaking drinks, man. And that's a shame. <laughs> and then and then and then the pay it was so horrible back then that people just used to we used to play for free sometimes just to just so that we could play you know it, it was re it was really bad back in the back in those days but uh hey and what in the years that you uh this break that you had do you look back on that time and think there was something missing from your life? Yeah, yes, I missed a lot of good records during that during that time. Yes. Records that now cost two, three hundred bucks on Discogs. 
uh, I really hate that I just because I when I when I was stepped away from it, I stepped completely away from it. You know, I, I didn't go to clubs. Uh, I didn't do anything. I was uh, because I was so frustrated at how, um, dude, I've been playing for years. This guy coming, he's playing for free. You know, now you're <clears throat> now you're booking this guy because I'm asking you for a measly 50 bucks. And, well, he's not charging me anything, man. And, you know, and the club's packed. And, you know, I'm like, you know, screw this. Uh, and plus, you know guys that I went to high school with these guys were in college and you know they were about to graduate and everything and I just saw my life going nowhere and uh, I thought I'd better get some education under my belt you know before I uh, before I was too late and then, then I was in my like very early 20s and um, I just didn't want to be this you know this bum this guy trying to DJ and you know stuff like that and working crap jobs you know so that's when I just left Detroit went away to school it was the best thing I ever did you know because when I came back to the music I I looked at it from a whole different perspective you know what I mean so and I think um, when I came back at it <clears throat> I looked at it from more of a business kind of standpoint and being more than just a DJ you know what I mean just being looked at as more of an artist than kind of just a DJ you know did you work afterwards yeah, yeah. Yeah. When when I got back I, I had to work IT? because I couldn't get I couldn't get, yeah. you know, jobs, yeah, you know. Course. I couldn't get jobs DJing and plus I wasn't really uh producing uh really anything until um ninety eight maybe. Something like that. I started toying around. I had a drum machine a buddy of mine let me borrow. The Yamaha uh R M one thousand I think it was. I did my uh, first track on Psychostasia with that. I did a track on uh, the the first beatdown compilation with that uh, with that drum machine, and then I started getting off into the Dawes. You know, got the MPC, got the Motif workstation, and I started working with um, that type of hardware. And uh, that's what I did the uh, after I did the Sunrise EP, and that's when this guy here called, and we uh, started doing Sushi Tech stuff, and that's when everything. Just, Did you make Direct Drive and these tunes on MPC? I made Direct Drive and uh, I made that in Ableton. Okay. Yeah, I made that in Ableton. Yeah. But I think I uh, used a uh, uh, 909 drum machine. Uh, I ripped the, the, the samples in Ableton and I just looped it out, out in Ableton. Would people like Jeff Mills and Derek May, they would watch you DJ? At parties before they were yeah. before the I, that's, I I don't remember seeing Jeff I I, I remember seeing Jeff when he was uh, I think Jeff and I are same exact same age uh, but I remember uh, DJ a disco DJ named Dale Willis brought Jeff out he, no one knew Jeff James Jeff came from nowhere whereas Derek used to come to the club Derek used to come party to the Lumo and everything yeah. Derek was kind of party guy kind of you know he lived out in the suburbs and stuff he used to come and. <clears throat> come to Luomo and all of the, you know, high school parties. He used to come there when we, you know, before he started DJing. He used to come and watch Daryl Shannon and I. I think Eddie did too. Eddie folks. Yeah. Jeff was an anomaly because he came from from somewhere else. I don't know where he came from. from but space. Exactly, exactly. But Dale Willis kind of brought him onto the scene and kind of introduced him to everyone. And when Jeff first came on, he was good. We are like, who the, who the hell is this? <laughs> You know, when he first came on, scratching, cutting, and transforming everything, like, who's this guy? You know, and I remember I was in a DJ contest at this uh, at this club called The Lady. And uh, it was myself, guy named Dwayne Montgomery, Daryl Shannon, a lot of a lot of old school heads for back there for back in eighty three and eighty four. You know, we were just mainstays in the game. Ken Collier was one of the judges. Another one of the judges was uh Steve Nader. He was the director of a uh, Dance Detroit which all of us belong to. Dad's Detroit was a record pool where we would get promos from. So a subscription like kind of... Yeah, you paid every yeah. month and um, uh, labels would, uh, like, labels like Sal Soul and, you know, Warner Brothers would send their, uh, you know, uh, their, their their dance mixes and all you know their ver these versions to this record pool and you would fill out a sheet as to how each record was doing and everything and uh, you give your feedback sheet every month and, you know and you you'd get you know you go by you go every week and get records sometimes you only get you know four or five in your in your pack sometimes you'll get ten you know but this is how a lot of us got our records back then 
Of course, you know, we were still buying the, you know, what they would call disco singles back then. You know, that's, you know, when the 12 inch was still relatively new. But uh, going back to the DJ contest, <clears throat> Jeff was the actually the opening DJ and he played in between the competition. And we're all, and people were like, this guy is better than the people that are actually in the contest, you know? So, and that's how we all got to know Jeff. And after that, man, his residency at Cheeks and, and, uh, he's playing up in, uh, I forgot the name of the club he was playing in Ann Arbor, but, uh, then he, of course, the Rizzo radio show and the rest is history. So how many places, like on any given night, how many different parties could you, would be going on? It's like a Friday Detroit, night in Like a Friday night, there, would, be, there yeah. would probably be, back in the those days, it would probably be uh, one, probably probably two or three. Because the crowd was still relatively small. And it, it wasn't multicultural back then. It was, all, it was all black. So, and it was all on one side of town. So, probably... Three to four hundred people, maybe on a good night. Probably uh, two or three parties. Uh, that's on the straight scene, though, uh, going on. But on the gay scene, there there could have been uh, more. But you know, uh, I didn't frequent you know gay clubs back then, so uh, probably on the straight scene, probably two to three, maybe. But but there was the high school gigs, uh, uh, gigs, and then there was the young adults too. Studio Fifty Four was still going back then. But Studio Fifty Four in Detroit, and um, I think. Ken had a residency at this place called The Chessmate. There was another club called Todd's in which Ken's brother used to play and uh, another DJ, uh, rest in peace, Dwayne Bradley, um, used to play uh, uh, at, uh, at a place called Todd's. And so, there were, there, you know, the scene was very much divided in, in straight and gay gigs. But uh, we would, uh, as far as the straight gigs, the, young, the, the parties that we were doing, probably two or three a night. And when did it start? Did it eventually start to get become more mixed up? Like uh, after is- after movement, well, after the DMF, after the DMF, the the, the gig started becoming more uh, multicultural, if you will, and then uh, people started bringing in acts from Chicago, and uh, well, mainly Chicago, New York, and that's when the gig started. And then when the when the white promoters actually started throwing parties and hiring the black DJs and that's when it became more multicultural in Detroit. This was probably in the probably early 90s, mid-90s is when it started to transform uh, to what it is. To, and now it's it's madness. Now, now, it's, now, now it's very strong in Detroit now, I think. There's three clubs in Detroit now that's going very strong, very multicultural. And uh, a lot of guys are bringing in a lot of good talent from all over the world. So it's uh, Detroit is looking good right now. And if you speak to an average kid at one of these parties, like today, uh-huh. will they know about <clears throat> Detroit's legacy? I don't think so. I think uh, I think now everything is kind of in the moment, if you will. And I think a lot of people go for more of a spectacle now than the than, than the knowing the, the the history of it. Because somebody, you know, somebody said, oh, you're one of the OGs, aren't you? I'm like, dude, what is OG? Is it old guy? <laughs> Was it original gangster? I, I don't know what this OG is supposed to mean, but uh, I don't know if I should be offended by that or not. But uh, I, I guess I should, I guess it, they, they mean it as some, as some form of respect. I know I'm only kidding, but still. <laughs> but still, we're, we're still looked at as the, uh, as the OGs and everything, so it's okay. I don't think it means much to them, you know. I think they're they're very much in the now, you know, and the and the you know who's uh, who's hot now, you know who who who's uh, you know putting out the the stuff that they like now and who is fashionable on social media and stuff like that. So I think that's where it is now. As far as cats like me, it's like you know we're we're still trying to remain relevant, you know, in all of this. You know what I mean by continuing to put out you know music and and, and DJ. Yeah. This scene was so ob- like it was born from a black community. How is it for you to travel to Europe and see see that- that, what what it has morphed into? Yeah, I considering think it's a you beautiful were- thing. I yeah. think it's a beautiful thing. I haven't seen any footage or anything to show what the scene was like in in say Berlin or or London in '85. You know, so. But I know what was going on here, and I know the music we were listening to. I know where DJ culture 
what it, what was happening in 85 and 83 i know what was happening and i know that um, that we were on to something that we were on to something musically fresh and new i had nowhere i had no idea if this was going on anywhere else other than our little small part of the world here because like i said there was no no internet there was none of that there was no way of knowing uh who was doing this other than you, unless you actually went there. And after, uh, you know, after the inception of House, we used to drive Chicago. We used to drive Chicago just to record the mixes off BMX. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's crazy. But um, after the inception of House music, um, you know, we knew what was going on in Chicago. So we would actually crew up and go to Chicago and try to go to Cotton Club or the warehouse was kind of, when I started going, like in 86 or 87, I don't know if Ron was still around back then, but I never got a chance to hear Ron or Frankie in Chicago. So the only person I did really get to hear when I was a kid was uh, T. Scott uh, from New York. And um, I heard uh, Tony Humphreys. I heard him at a WMC once, but that was back in the 80s. <clears throat> back when we used to go to Winter Music Conference when, well, in the 90s when we went to the uh, Winter Music Conference, when it was really a music conference and not just a bunch of after parties. <laughs> Back when you used to have to take your record and try, try to shop it to distributors. and When people still took records. Yeah. Exactly, you took records, and you were if you were lucky enough to get a record for someone and it happened to be nice, especially at test pressing, man, it was great. Those were the days right there. Yeah, it's so hard for you to imagine. Uh, I'm 29, yeah, my, yeah, uh, yeah. It's so hard to imagine what it was like. I think I got kids your age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's just well, even just how it's changed in the years since I've been into dance music. Just as you say, the social media thing. You can be an international touring DJ just from having just, a just, just by having a hundred thousand likes. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but I mean, you know, more power to 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 these people and their PR companies and their management that's able to, to, to do this for people, for people to, you know, explore their passion, you know, to live their passion and do this through, uh, through fashion and social media and everything. And all of a sudden, Hey, I'm playing uh, in Ibiza. You know, it's like that, that, that kills me, especially when there, there, some of us had to come up through it the hard way. And I have a friend running a label. Um, and we were chatting about Instagram. He says, yeah, man, if I post a picture of my new record." Saying like, hey, it's out. Like, right. yeah, one hundred likes. If he posts, if he posts like some photo of his dog, like five hundred. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, know? exactly. That I, I can't explain it, man. But you know, what are you gonna do? I guess it just became a real industry. It's the same with like sports or I don't know, just entertainment in general. The actual thing is just a small part of it now. Right. The music is just a small part. So, I think it's a big part. Well, yeah. I think it's a big part of it, but I think. The, the 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 social media aspect of it a lot of uh, promoters and clubs are very they they're they're really looking at that to see the the appeal of you know the particular artist you know what i mean if you're you know do you only have 5000 likes you're, you know you're not going to get booked but if you're you know if you if your fan page has 200,000 followers i mean from all over the world and everything you can best believe you're going to get some bookings and uh promoters are going to you know, feel confident in booking you, especially if you're very active, you're very fashionable, and you know you're you're putting out uh, songs that that are halfway decent, and that uh, other DJs are playing and charting, and uh, people are commenting on your post. Uh, not only commenting on them, and you're engaging with them, and they see you engaging with them. You know, I, it's it's that's very much a big part of. Uh, you know, artists getting gigs now, man. So, would you have social media if you didn't have to do it? You know, if it wasn't part of the game, no. would you be doing interviews no, and not. this kind of no, I thing? If I was a regular guy, I would not have social media. If, well, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say a regular guy, but if I wasn't, you know, an artist of any kind, no, I would. I wouldn't want anyone to know where I was. I mean, why? I mean, I wouldn't want, I would probably have it, but have a very small group of friends, like like someone I if I know from high school. It's like, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. And I'll probably go to do that, but I'll probably be under an alias or something like that. I wouldn't want anyone to know where I am. You know what I mean? I, you know, I prefer to remain kind of private. 
But uh, being that you know we're in this business, it, it's a necessity to 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 have this. Mm-hmm. So how were you in high school? Were you like uh, were you always the music guy? You know? Not always. Not until like the last maybe two years. Not the last two years, I was always kind of the social kind of person. I was in these in high school. We had these social organizations that we used to, you know, rent hall rent halls and give parties and hire DJs to do the parties. That's how I met Ken. Yeah, no, you can book him two hundred dollars. Exactly, exactly. We used to be able to book Ken for two hundred dollars. That's sound system and everything. Oh, you, oh, so you'd bring your own sound system if you're uh, exactly in yeah. those days. Yeah, that's how we all start. We all started as mobile DJs back then. I never had like my own sound system back then. I used to work with a, my partner. His name was Carl Martin, and we had a uh, sound company. It was called Soundwave, and and uh, Daryl Shannon and Todd Johnson. They had Direct Drive, and there were a lot of different DJ crews, and everyone had their you know big Sermon Vegas speakers and everything. And we used to get bookings for like a hundred bucks. <laughs> 150 bucks and you'd bring your sound system in to these halls uh yeah put them in the back seat put them in the trunk of the car and we should drive these places set up and do parties do weddings everything yeah but uh back then we used to uh yeah you we would be able to book ken for 200 dollars, man and would he tailor his set to like high school students like no rude uh yes i i think he did because like when we wouldn't hurt him at the older parties he used to play a lot of really good disco you know what i'm saying really good disco and everything and you never heard tracks like parliament funkadelic at those parties you play like like you know it would be considered underground disco then but then when he do the high school parties, he playing knee deep, you know, you know George Clinton knee deep and Rick James and stuff like that. It's like no, 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 dude, we want what you were playing last week at that other gig, you know, and and you never really told Ken what to play, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I remember uh, I was with a high school organization called Cordier. We had this party at this club called the Cotillion Club. It was like in the hood in Detroit, you know, back in the day. And uh, this is like my, my second time actually booking Ken for a gig. And he was playing Aqua Boogie by George Clinton. I don't know if you're familiar with that tune, but look it up. It's by Parliament Funkadelic. It's called Aqua Boogie. It was a 12-inch on it. It was, the, the record was about 50, it's about 15 minutes long. And uh, he played this. And I actually went up to him and said, could you play Something else, please. And the look that he gave me was like I, I could have died in, in my pants right there. I, I could have just, I could have just died. He kind of like, little boy, get away from me. You know what I'm saying? That's the look that he gave me. And uh, but thankfully, uh, he gave forgave me for that. We became friends. Did he ever mention? That. Did he ever mention years. it again? No, he never mentioned that again. He never mentioned it to me. I guess he thought I was probably young or didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Yeah, so. <laughs> and now you give people the same look? I try to, that's one thing I don't do. I, I try not to demean anyone, especially now. Maybe when I was a kid, I probably was a bit arrogant. But now I, I try my best to, you know, if someone, I try to give someone the time of day. Or I try to be nice to everybody. If people are paying money to come out and see you play or they're buying your records, man, the least you can do is just give them five minutes of your time for some conversation. You know? mm, yeah, definitely. You seem like a friendly guy. I can't imagine you being, uh, I can't I'm imagine friendly. you being rude to someone. I, I think I'm pretty much friendly. You'd probably say something different. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're wondering, I'm talking about he, my friend Yossi is here. The, my man, they run Sushi Tech. None of this could have been possible without him. And I, I think, and I appreciate him all the time. In Detroit, were the parties also attracting like people from different socioeconomic levels? As you just said, there was a party in one of the poorer areas. Of course, yeah. There were people from all socioeconomic levels, yeah. poor poor people, uh, people from the suburbs and everything. Everybody kind of partied together. So even yeah. even since then, dance music, well, dance music in Detroit, it was still, it was also about this inclusivity. Everyone is welcome. As, exactly, yeah. We were, we were all kind of a family then. Well, not a family, but we all knew each other. Everyone kind of because of the, the high school Thing. We all kind of, we all kind of knew each other. It was all, it was some type of relationship there, and plus, it was really cheap to get into the parties. Then it was like two bucks. You know, the highest price party back then was seven dollars, and if something was seven dollars, it was like, dude, 
that's seven bucks. You know what I'm saying? It's like seven dollars was a lot of money to go to a gig because gigs were basically three bucks. Would you approach the party the same way you would today? Like you meet up with your friends at someone's house, then go to the party, yeah, then course, stay yeah, to the yeah, end. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing. But see, then we used to get to the parties when the door opened, like in Detroit. Uh, back in the early days, because we, if Ken was playing, we st- we we used to want to hear everything he played. So we used to get there, and the party started. The party, well, the the closing time in Detroit, it still is two o'clock, but it was two o'clock in the morning back then too. So we used to uh, get there, uh, get to the party shortly after the doors open, sometimes before they open. Uh, uh, and then sometimes we get there early because the price went up like after ten, so you had to go get there early to um actually and we you know we want to stay all night you know until the end of the party and um, you know a lot of other other people thought like us because there were lines to get in parties at you know nine o'clock now in detroit party starts at nine people don't get there until twelve thirty. yeah it's empty know? for the first yeah, exactly and that's that's one thing i don't get do you go to uh, to parties in detroit very often no no, not not no no i go to, to things that my friends do uh someone from out of town uh, it's playing. I'll probably go, but for the most part, I'm over here. So yeah, yeah. And, and then I'm trying to do work at home, and you know, you can't hang out and make tracks, man. Yeah, exactly. I'm crawling out of a club in the morning. <laughs> exactly and, right. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, I'm I'm kind of a bit on the older side, so I, you've been to enough parties. <laughs> I've been to enough parties. I've seen some amazing things, you know, uh, both uh, in Europe and in the states, and you know, it's kind of hard for me to be impressed now you know what i mean so has any dj impressed you like ken collier you know yeah is he yeah. still number one in all, your all the time all the time right these kids nowadays man are great you know i'm not gonna single anyone out so do it how come you didn't mention me it's like I'm, everybody's great you know what i mean there's everybody knows what they're doing now man i think um the 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 lot of uh the jocks that are that are out here now man everybody's knowledgeable man um Everybody's good, bro. Everybody's good. <laughs> I think. You know what I'm saying? We uh we just had a sushi check. We just had a gig at uh Renata? Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, went to the rooms uh the rooms and everybody sounded good, man. No, it was not everybody sounded good. Everybody was playing a track that I didn't have. <laughs> you know <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody played a track that I wanted, you know. I was like, dude. And it's like everywhere I go, uh, the guys that are opening for me all over the world, man. It's like, all these guys are good. All these guys are banging great music, man. Good tracks, man. And guys are producing good stuff too. And uh, it's really a good, I, I think it's really a good time uh, in music now. It really is. Especially with, well, especially with the technology now too. And you, you know, you can buy a laptop and sound like you're in a, 20 track on a 20 track board now. You know what I mean? So, so when did you start to think that you could do this for a career? When I got laid off from my job in 2003, I think it was 2005, maybe, you know, I took the pension that they give you. And uh, when I started getting calls, you know, after I you know, put out a couple of records and I started getting, um, I started getting calls and I started look at my life differently, look at, uh, look at this profession differently, stop wanting to just call myself just a DJ. That, that, that seems so kind of. I just hate that term. You know what I mean? I just hate the. I'm a DJ. Know. Yeah, I just I, exactly. I just I think after uh, probably after uh, my second or third release, I I, I knew uh, that I wasn't going back to work again, and I you know I started to garner a lot of support. My fan base started to grow. I said, I think uh, I think uh, this is I'll stay in this lane. Are you happier now? Now that music is your main thing. Or your only thing? Are you happier as a person I than am, when you were working for the man? I'm much happier as a person. Uh, you, did you say working for the man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It, it, it is good to wake up and to have your own business. You know what I'm saying? And to 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 determine, to be able to determine your self-worth. Not having to punch anyone's clock and uh, your success totally remains on you. And what you do and what you put into it, you know, and uh, I like having that responsibility on myself. You know, I've never been more successful at anything as uh, as as what I'm doing now in any field of work I've ever done. 
or whatever. I've never been in my education or whatever. I've never had more success than, than, than what I'm doing now. And the, the friends that I've met along the way uh, in this, we all are, are in it together. We think alike and everything. And uh, I, I couldn't have made a better choice. Huh? Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I was also, I've also been thinking about this recently. Like, uh, for example... I was thinking about fitness and exercise. I was thinking maybe part of the reason you can get obsessed with it is because it's also one of the few things in your life that you have total control over. If I want to go to the gym and get strong, there's nothing stopping me. The only thing I need to do is buy the gym pass. That's right, yeah. But with work, I could work my butt off for 12 hours a day right? and still get, well, hopefully not, and still maybe get fired like two <laughs> months later. Right, exactly. You right, know? Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and then they can replace you. You can work your butt off for somebody and they'll fire you and uh, without any consequence to you or nothing. They, they could just fire you and you could just be replaced. In this, it's all on you. Yeah, if you spend 12 hours a day, like uh, maybe you've got five records at the end of the year. Exactly, you know, you've right, You've got yeah. five physical... Exactly. you get bookings exactly. out of it. Exactly, you have something to show for it. You know what I mean? If you're halfway decent at producing... You know what I'm saying? You could be an excellent DJ, but a crappy producer. You know what I'm saying? And you could put out records. It's like, dude, why isn't it working for me? Well, bro, you probably don't, you know, probably your tracks probably aren't that good. You know what I mean? People don't find them appealing, you know? So I think, you know, we're all blessed that, well, I think I'm blessed that I was able to, you know, make the right kind of connections and and be inspired by the the people that, 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 and producers that inspire me, I'm able to kind of look at someone's career and kind of be like, okay, I'll see how they do it, how, how they did it, whatever, and not actually copy them, but, you know, but, you know, there is a, a roadmap here where you can kind of, if this is something you want to do and you, 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 you see where the music is and you see how your sound fits into this the landscape of it all, you know what I'm saying? If you're smart, and you, you can figure out your place in that I think you could be successful and I think that's what I did mm. is that the kind of advice you'd give to people find your own find your that's the kind of advice lane. I'm giving now yeah. I generally don't give advice to people people don't really ask for my advice that they don't ask oh, what do you think I should do I'm like you know I don't know <laughs> I mean I, no one has really I've never been really asked that question so I, I can't really say that I've given any advice but if i were to give advice that would be the advice i'd give when you were first starting to reduce like we were talking about making this more like dj friendly sound was that a conscious decision or it's kind of just what came out were you thinking like i want some a groovy bomb for the dance floor it's like it's that's conscious decision you know i don't i i I don't really don't go into a project with a blank slate you know, I kind of go in kind of knowing what I want the track to be, like well, how I want the bass to roll, you know, how I want it to, to sound, how what kind of uh, uh, a scene I'm trying to set, what kind of atmosphere I'm trying to create going into this. Do I want it to be funky? Do I want it to be uh, techno? Do I want it to be housey, funky housey? You know, I always have a concept of it when I'm going in. I, I generally don't just, okay, I'm starting with the kick, I'll go with a hat, and then I'll just play around some bass lines. No, no, no. I have a concept of what I'm doing before I even start. So what determines that concept? Like your mood? Or you know you have Sometimes to Sometimes it could be in a dream. Oh, really? Yeah, or like if I'm, um, like if, uh, I'm in the bathroom or something and my wife is playing uh, music on the second floor and I'm on the f- first floor, whatever, and I, I'm hearing, you know, just bass. You're not hearing what the track is, but you're hearing bass. And then I'm like, okay, that was sound good like that. Then I'll go. And I'll lay it down, you know what I'm saying? And then I'll leave it alone. Then I'll come back to it later. Like sometimes I even do that at night. Sometimes when I'm um, I'm laying out, I'll, I'll think of a bass line or some type of melody. I'll re- hum it to myself, you know, on my phone or something. So I can come back to it the next day. But oftentimes when I do that, I'm like, oh man, I, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> It's like someone finds your phone one day and they hear this. It's like, right, right. But so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know what I mean? But a lot of stuff comes from, um, you know, parts and songs too. A lot of old R&B stuff, a lot of jazz stuff. You're riding around in the car or whatever and uh, you hear like one little snippet. It's like, ah, I'm going to grab that when I get home. And I do that. And sometimes uh, sometimes it'll just be the, the sample. And sometimes the sample would just loop into something else and I end up not even using the sample. You know what I mean? So... But yeah, there's always some specific start off. Exactly point. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
your tracks actually have a lot of variety. Yeah. Because there's a dub, more the W kind of stuff. Right, exactly. Then there's like the housey exactly, side. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's still, it's all for the, well, it's all for the dance floor. Exactly. Perfect right, yeah. dance floor tracks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so, yeah, because uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I am a <laughs> DJ, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, a lot of my tracks are, you know, they're just dance floor driven. I'm not, you know, maybe one day I'll do some artsy stuff, you know, but uh, like for now, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm playing in clubs, and uh, I want I want to continue to play in clubs for a minute, and I want DJs to buy my stuff, and I want people that like dance music to to. to to, to, to buy my stuff, so I'm going to keep it, you know, where 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 I have where I have the most success at. Now I'm going to just keep it there. <laughs> 